Get ready to experience the pulse of the outdoor community as we dive into the stories of people's journeys into the outdoor world. Here we go. Hello, my name is Mitch and I am the host of the Outdoor Pulse. Today we have on Nate Williams. He is an Ohio State student and a member of hey everyone. Mountaineers. So we're going to be diving into how he got into the outdoor community and what he does in that. So starting off, how's it going? Good, how are you, Charles? Doing great, doing great. Excited to hear your story, how you got into the outdoor community and what it is that you do. So yeah. Start off with just a little bit about like what it is that you're into in the outdoor community and we'll kind of go on from there. For sure. Uh, so a little bit about me. I'm an Ohio State student. Uh, junior right now. I started. Um, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, grew up there. Uh, came to Ohio State. Um, so growing up in Cincinnati, it was, it was interesting. You're, you're actually from, from Cincinnati too, right? Yes. Cincinnati born and raised West side, Delhi. So nice. <laughs> went to elder. West side, Delhi. Nice. So I'm, uh, Oh, elder. Nice. I went to McNick actually. So, uh, nice. we're, we're, uh, closer than, yeah, I, I even knew. Um, anyway, uh, so the vibe in Cincinnati, uh, it's not very outdoorsy. Um, growing up, uh, I didn't really go hiking a lot or, uh, I did go skiing. Uh, we were a little bit up north, um, which is cool. Um, so uh, it was kind of interesting. And I, I never expected that I would be right now uh, kind of with uh, mountain sports, like climbing and, and mountaineering. Um, and uh, where I was first really introduced uh, was my senior high school. We were climbing um, actually at Eden Park. Uh, if you're familiar with uh with I've, that they have i've actually there i've um, set up some top ropes there a couple times so yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's, it's a fun time um so that was kind of my first experience but but even before that before i got into any uh climbing it's, it's kind of funny how i was introduced uh to kind of like rope sports sports i guess um so me buddies we do uh, of like the, you know, like Moab, they have those big like um, uh, arches, like Arches National Park. Yeah. Are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 Moab. Have you yeah. ever seen like the YouTube videos? Yeah, yeah, on Moab. Uh, the, the YouTube videos of the people jumping off of the, the, with like a rope attached to them. They do like a giant rope swing. Yeah. Underneath the arch. Love to get out have there and do that someday. Like that? Yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so me and my buddies, uh, we thought that that was like the coolest thing ever. And none of us had like ever rock climbed. Um, uh, we were, we all played soccer. We were like athletic, but um, no idea about what we were doing. But we decided that we wanted to do that. Uh, but instead of underneath a, like an arch, we wanted to do it underneath the bridge. So um, I, uh, we uh, we kind of schemed and and we did research and, and read all stuff about ropes and uh, I bought I bought like a rock climbing rope and harness and and all this stuff to do anchor building and and looking back on it like don't get me wrong like it was a mistake like ever like it, it was very stupid like if someone's watching this and thinking don't do it but uh, we we ended up building um, 
uh, of a swing on, on this bridge, uh, actually in Eden Park. You know that bridge that's kind of in the woods yeah. that you can get to? Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly the bridge, we yeah. We set up uh, anchor, an anchor on that bridge, and we would jump off the side of it and swing underneath it. Uh, so I had no, no rope experience. Like I'm like, I'm like literally Googling, like how to tie a figure eight follow through. And we are, we are doing this and if we did it safely. Like I'm still here. But it was, it was pretty dumb, but that was my introduction to rock climbing and ropes and, and, uh, all the stuff that I do now was, was me and my buddies, you know, 17, just being complete idiots. Uh, but it was a good time. Um, so basically from there, I was like, oh, I already have a rock climbing rope. I already have a harness uh, and all this gear. Like maybe I should actually learn how to rock climb. So I had all this gear, but I didn't have rock climbing shoes. So that was my first like rock climbing purchase was a pair of rock climbing shoes. Uh, and then we would go and top rope it at Eden Park, like you said. Um, so some fond, some fond Cincinnati memories. Uh, I believe also that uh, at that park, um, they have like two two little bolts there that uh, someone just screwed into the wall. So that was my first lead. Um, so going there, uh, I, I then came to OSU uh, and with the limited rock climbing experience I had, I uh, thought it'd be cool to join the Mountaineers uh, and uh, kind of evolved from there. You, you were in the OSU Mountaineers, right? Yeah, yeah, I was. And I don't know if the team is still there, but for a while there, we had a climbing team that actually hopped around to a few different uh colleges that had small comps here and there and just had a little bit of fun with it i don't think it's there anymore it kind of died after the leadership that was so with us so it's actually still exists um, it does one of awesome. my That's uh, good, to hear. good friends yeah isaiah, one of my friends isaiah bloom um one of his friends uh her name's olivia shout out olivia uh she's awesome um really into gardening and farming uh but she, She's actually, I don't know if she's like the president or the coach or whatever, but she's really high up into it. And a couple of my buddies are in it um, and it's pretty competitive. They're doing pretty well. So that's really cool. That's awesome. Like a Midwest school to have a good climbing team. It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. High state kind of has the advantage of having Um, one of the best walls that I've seen around. I mean, it's big. They have like about 20 ropes, which is crazy for just a college wall so we're, we're, we're lucky in the fact that yeah. we had that so most college walls are much smaller so totally agree what we uh what we maybe lack in um in uh, uh community um coming from the midwest we definitely made up with uh, a little bit with money at least um in my opinion uh but it's funny because you were talking about how when you went to ohio state um you never ropes were always open and that's totally not my experience i actually got a, a membership to an on-campus gym um uh, partly so i could do lead but also just because it's just so busy uh, over there now oh, yeah. um, kind of after free solo came out like a lot of people started climbing um it's and a lot of them have stuck that. with it and and probably climb harder than i do but <laughs> yeah no it was uh it I, it was during the transition period for sure when I was there because I could see the difference just week to like it felt like it happened overnight one year it was just like you know this laid back chill place like you saw the same people 
And then all of a sudden it was like, everyone wanted to try it. Of course, all the same people that were there every day before were still kind of there. So you kind of had that core group that like never really stopped going, but it was all the new, like you'd see them like once a month type people where it's like, they didn't do it often, but people started getting into it and it just started gaining momentum. So yeah, it was kind of a cool thing to kind of watch more and more people kind of dive into the sport because it was this sport that I found that I'm like, Oh yeah, not many people do this. It's kind of cool. Kind of go out in the middle of like middle of nowhere down in the red river gorge and just go fall off rocks for fun. So, but it was uh, definitely a cool experience to kind of see as it grew. And also while I was there, I think it got announced that the climbing was going to be in the Olympics I think it got announced. Yeah. So between free solo and climbing being in the Olympics, and uh, I think it was the Don Wall with Jorksen and Caldwell that also was on like yeah. uh, CNN, and like it got like a ton of news too. So all of a sudden, all this climbing news just hit, and it was like everyone wanted to try it. So now there's gyms popping up everywhere, new gyms popping up. So it, I, I definitely love seeing the sport grow. I think it's awesome. I think um, a lot of my friends have been climbing for, for a lot longer. Um, there's, there's like two groups. It's like some people kind of want to be more uh, like, like it's stupid, but they kind of want to get, and then the, the other people uh, are definitely completely for it. And I'm definitely in that group. Um, I think it's cool when I can talk to people about climbing a little bit now and they like have a little bit of an idea of like what, you know, what we do. Um, that's nice. So, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely the people that are like, Oh, it's great. It's like a lot of the people that are getting into it though, or uh, I think we've talked about, we talked about this during our quick phone call is the fact that a lot of people are just gym climbers. A lot of people don't have any desire to really ever get outside, which is a weird, kind of thing in my mind when I got into climbing it was like I planned on yeah. going outside at some point there there was a end goal of getting outside inside was just like my learning like training wheels so for, for sure yeah it's it's a new, it's a new breed of climber who uh who just wants to climb super hard uh pull on plastic really hard uh and um and, and climb hard is strong and get stronger uh, a lot of people are you doing it like like it's like uh like lifting weights almost um it's i'm fine with that i'm cool uh whatever puts money you know in the gym owner's pocket uh, i'm totally okay with yeah same plus the the more money that the gyms have the better they can build their like Climb Time's a yeah, great example sure, of they, Climb Time was yeah. one of the original climbing gyms down in Cincinnati and they now finally just expanded, but their new gym is huge and just amazing what they built down there. And that came because climbing got bigger and all of that. So, you know, the more people that are into it, the more value proposition there is to the owners of these walls to actually build these awesome gyms so i mean there's a it's a weird mix of you there's a lot of people so it makes it hard to get on the wall sometimes but at the same time without that you're not going to have the incentive to build something that's you know not profitable so yeah totally agree
but yeah climbing is one of those unique i i feel like it's getting less unique in the fact that more people can just jump in at one of these gyms and pretty much have no problem where when i first started out it felt like mm. kind of going in blind <laughs> you know you you show up with a couple friends yeah. at ohio state's gym and you're like oh this is interesting and so it's definitely a changing environment every single day yeah yeah the 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 barrier to entry is uh i remember talking to friends who, who whose parents would climb and and they would talk about how when they learned to climb they weren't learning at a gym they were learning outside oh, yeah they climbed outside for the first time which is really cool but that's just so rare nowadays um but yeah yeah, I, I'm definitely not a sport climber. Uh, if you ask any of my friends, I probably climb the least hard. Uh, I know what I'm doing, but like as far as like pulling on small stuff really hard, that's that's not me. Uh, definitely more more in the mountaineering side of things in the club, at least. So moving on from climbing, then when did you kind of first dip your toes in the mountaineering and kind of that side of the outdoor? Because that's a lot of people when I first started climbing I had friends that like assumed it had stuff to do with like you know mountaineering it's like no mountaineering is its own thing yeah it, people say that they're climbing but it, it's different because <laughs> when I first started climbing like yeah. I said it's like people really confused the two a lot of the times it felt like yeah yeah uh I I've totally like I've totally totally know what you're saying um when like you're like oh i want whatever people like are interpreting that as like oh you're like climbing this big mountain which i think is funny because that's actually why sport climbing was like invented uh, uh like in uh over and when they when they were climbing like mount blanc and stuff like that uh, uh they would get to pitches where the only way to continue to climb the mountain would be through actually like, like climbing, traversing climbing. on these features so that's yeah climbing climbing so that's why climbing climbing was invented um was how mountaineers summits these big peaks uh and then it now has become you know its own discipline on its on by itself so uh but anyway uh how i got into mountaineering. um uh so as ed, ed do you know who ed ed Viestures is by any chance not off the top of my head no no so, so Ed V. Eschers, uh is the first American uh, to climb all 14 8,000 meter peaks in the Himalaya uh, and the Karakoram. Um, he uh, is a really cool dude, but uh, he famously says that he comes from the great state of uh, mountaineering, um, Illinois. Uh, and that's like a joke because the Midwest, there's no mountains by it. Yeah. Uh, but he's this great mountaineer and he's from Illinois. He's from Rockford. And I thought that was really cool. So I'm kind of the same way. I come from the great mountaineer uh um which i always thought was funny uh and actually when i was really young uh in like fourth grade uh i, I bought a books of everest and i thought everest was like so cool um my opinions on everest have changed a lot uh now but i wouldn't get into that later um yeah but uh i remember right we would do like journals in third and fourth grade and uh uh, we would like we would make like bucket lists of what we wanted to do and and my parents hated them i'd always like write like i wanted to go skydiving and also i remember i wrote i wanted to climb mount everest uh so it's kind of funny i've kind of always had like this intimation that that i've wanted to 
climb. Uh, it's hard to hard to uh, follow that. Um, but but now that uh, I was in college, I could could kind of reach out and and use my resources and try and find some outlet for this passion that I thought I had. Um, uh, so I joined the Mountaineers, um, and uh, I remember their trip to Mount Washington. Uh, so Mount Washington, uh, I'm sure you're probably uh, familiar with it, but um, just yeah. for anyone listening, uh, this 6,000-meter peak in New Hampshire, uh, it's located outside of North Conway, uh, and it is a badass mountain. Uh, since then, I've climbed some, some, some bigger mountains, uh, but the weather on Mount Washington is really terrible to, uh, to a high peak in the Andes or in the Himalaya. Uh, for, for a long time until a couple, uh, like a decade ago, the, the record for the highest wind speed recorded on land was on Mount Washington summit, um, something That's like insane. 230 miles per hour. So during the winter, it is cold and it's windy uh, and it is a dangerous mountain. Um, actually, the most fatalities on, of any mountain have, have occurred on Mount Washington, something like 93 climate. And it's a joke because it's on the East Coast. And then they realized that uh, it's not a joke <laughs> real business. So, yeah. So, so I signed up for that trip um, and I went on it and I just remember being amazed that, that like uh, I could do these things. I could travel on these snow fields and, and just how raw the weather was. And uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, uh, and like how close uh, you get with, with all your, with all your buddies is it is it is one of the hardest physical things uh you could possibly do um uh i had actually just run a marathon before i went on my mount washington trip and i remember getting down from mount washington and just being like oh my god like this was so much harder than running a marathon like it is legitimately one of the toughest things you can put your body through with weather and everything um so that was my first experience uh i was Mountaineering, um, and uh, I I remember it was it definitely wasn't about like something like a lot of people who who uh, tell my stories to or whatever they they always are like how does it feel to be on top of a mountain and um, honestly by the time I get to the top I'm usually pretty dead uh, and it's not that enjoyable sometimes. Um, uh, especially if like the view isn't good. Uh, it, it's definitely about the physical act of climbing for me. Um, so uh, as a person, I have a little bit, uh, I'm definitely a little uh, uh, like an overthinker, right? I have a little bit of anxiety probably was, was what you would say. So the physical act of climbing for me is just so therapeutic. It's, uh, it's when you're climbing a mountain, when you're hiking and with crampons and with these boots on and when you're using decks to you know, get up this slope, uh, you are thinking about nothing other than like that just pure moment. Um, I remember uh, my, my buddy, um, oh God, uh, who was the leader of that trip? Uh, I forget his name, but his quote, he said, man, this whole weekend, I've not thought once about school. And like, I could relate to that so strongly because it feels like when you're out uh, on these trips, like you, you just don't think of anything other than climbing, which is, uh, I think, really amazing. Um, so yeah, Mount Washington things. was awesome. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna uh, say with, with all these too, trips, right? uh, yeah. Just, with all these trips, oh, these types yeah. of things, it's you, 
you kind of have to be thinking about only that because you can't really mess up, especially when it comes to winter mountaineering. Winter mountaineering is a whole nother different type of climbing, which I need to get more into. But now that I'm out here in Colorado, I'll have a lot more opportunities to kind of throw myself at it. So I'm excited for it, but I know there is the sucky aspect to it, but there's something about that that you just kind of lose yourself in your mind. And it's just, like you said, kind of therapeutic, kind of just, you know, it's just you in the mountain and that's it. And you versus mother nature. Sure. <laughs> so um, it's, it's kind of like a paradox in that I want to do something that's more stress in order to alleviate my stress. Uh, but that's kind of what it is. Um, uh, and my parents do not like it, but that's um, <laughs> definitely the, very effective. So my parents kind of, so that was my me. first trip. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, it's, Mountaineering with uh, parents is is a whole thing though. Um, like Jimmy Chin, uh, he he's talked a lot about this. Um, how he's made a promise to his mother that he would not die before her, uh, and he talks a lot about it. And and a lot of people always ask him like if he regrets saying it, um, because like obviously that's like a tough thing well, to promise when you're when you're climbing these mountains. Um, and and he kind of has a love hate relationship the fact that he made it uh, because on one hand um, like it obviously helps alleviate some of his mom's um, uh, pain and, and suffering and like thoughts about him but on the other side like is that something he can really keep uh, right um, yeah he talks uh, about that and in I it, don't know uh, I got, and Meru and Meru talks about that and I, Meru. I'm pretty sure yeah his mom yeah. his mom died and that's when he said that he finally was like well I can take those risks now that I couldn't take before. <laughs> so mm, that's, that's right. That's yeah. right. His mom did pass away. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then he said nice. like, yeah. he kind of yeah, kind of yeah, opened yeah, up yeah. a whole nother, his next kind of phase of mountaineering. Cause now he's like, well, I can kind of push it a little bit further. Cause I don't have that promise to push keep anymore. Further. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely because uh, w when you look outside, it's, it seems like a selfish sport, right? You're, you're putting yourself all this risk uh, sometimes, and obviously you try and mitigate all that risk uh, that you can, but you get in these situations where I've done everything I can do right, uh, you know, I, all, the, all the safety stuff I'm doing, but there's still uh, – a large inordinate amount of risk that I just have to assume in some of these situations. Uh, and is that fair, right? Because if I die, like I'm dead, I'm not going to care, but, um, but the people who are going to be hit by it are, are all my friends and all my loved ones. So it's, it's a difficult proposition. Um, and I've kind of weighed that definitely it's kind of weighed on me a lot. And, but I do think about it like this. Um, I feel like I'm a better person and I can be more kind and and um uh share more uh myself with others when i have done these climbing things when um because like i said it's like therapy uh if i wasn't climbing i feel like i wouldn't be the person that i am today like i wouldn't be as as uh open and, and um uh, i'd say I, I think a good way to kind of look at it is a lot of these extreme sport athletes and mountaineers like there's some of the 
chillest, like most laid back people ever. And yet you yeah. wouldn't think that coming from people that are willing to go do these crazy things. You'd be like, oh, that has to take like a certain crazy person to go do that. But meanwhile, they're just like the most laid back, chill. And I feel like it comes from once you've been through that kind of stuff, everything else just feels a lot more mellow in life. Like you can take things a lot more easier. You've proven that you can get through some of the worst things out there and push through adversity to finish a climb or finish a mat, like a peak and just kind of prove to yourself. And then after that, everything just feels more relaxed in my mind personally. So totally. It totally gives you a lot of perspective. Um, it, it allows you to know what is important to you in life. Uh, it, it definitely, um, it's, it's a lot easier to get through school, get through social stuff. Uh, when you have this, this benchmark of, wow, like I did, I like almost died on this, like this thing right now isn't that important in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah, so from there, let's see. Uh, my uh, my second trip was also to Mount Washington. Um, my friend Nathan Meyer, uh, who's who's awesome dude, um, he uh, he led it. Uh, basically, we did this alternate route in Washington. Um, it was on the west side of the mountain. Uh, we ended up turning around uh, because of uh, pretty bad pretty bad whiteout conditions. Um, uh, from there. Uh, after that, my most recent trip was actually in March, uh, and it was also to Mount Washington, but it was a little different. Uh, me and my friend Isaiah, we did the, uh, a technical route in uh, Huntington's Ravine. So um, Mount Washington has a ton of history actually attached to it. Um, a lot of people uh, don't know like how big of a deal Mount Washington was kind of in the history books of mountaineering. Uh, like for example, um, there's this route in Huntington's Ravine called Odell's Gully. Um, so I forget his first name, but his last name was Odell. And he, uh, is, he made the first ascent of this route in Mount Washington. And he last person to see, um, oh man, it's, um, let me, I can Google it real quick, but, uh, basically he was the last person, uh, to see someone alive on Everest, uh, last person to see, um, uh, do, 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 do. uh george mallory alive oh, on the, Everest. yeah uh, and that's like kind of the the major yeah, so, uh so like a, they watched yeah, him go the over the ridge yeah the they, they watched him go over yep, the ridge yep. the summit ridge and then they never came back so they don't know if they summited or didn't it's yep. still to this day is kind of like did they make it or yeah. did they not make yeah. it and so so it's really cool. Like there's like uh, like a lot of actual legit like hardcore mountaineers who have been in the history books for like all these Himalayan ascents have went and climbed on Mount Washington. So uh, it's really cool to kind of follow some of those footsteps. Uh, so we were in Mount Washington. We did this uh, this route called uh, Escape Hatch. Um, it's this like steep snow gully, and uh, it was my first time where like I had to climb with two technical tools instead of just like a PLA. Uh, and it was awesome. Like it was one of the coolest experiences of my life here. Like you're on this thousand foot snow gully uh, uh, and we were on um, uh, just the exposure is unreal. Like if you take a fall, you're going to fall like a thousand feet. Like there's no way you'd be able to rest. Um, and we were protecting the climb with like pickets. So basically a picket is uh, it's this, it's like a T angle. Uh, it's like a, 
um, 36 to 40 inch piece of aluminum, which you hammer into the snow uh, and then you can clip into it. Um, so basically what you do is you attach partner, uh, you and your partner attach via a rope um, and then uh, you clip into these pickets that you hammer in the snow and basically like trad climbing, like you're climbing up, uh, placing the protection and then uh, your partner cleans behind you. Um, so that's, that's how we protected that climb. And, and uh, it was one of the most amazing uh, experiences of my life. Um, I remember getting to the top of this climb and we were uh, just absolutely dead, but it was so, so cool. Um, uh, and it was funny uh, because we actually didn't pack enough really food for this climb. Um, we were, we were trying to go as light as possible. Uh, uh, and so we had only packed probably like uh, maybe seven or 800 calories uh, uh, per and because we thought we would knock it out in like six hours. And it ended up taking up like 10 hours. And near the end, there were definitely some, on the descent, there were some sketchy situations when like lightheaded, uh, we had some like vision stuff going on just because our blood yeah. sugar was too low. Um, so it's, it's funny uh, in mountaineering because preparation is just so, so critically important and like small mistakes uh, that wouldn't matter at all in day-to-day -day life. Like if you forget to pack one thing, just totally just uh, destroy your climb. And it was, it was so like, looking back on it, it was so stupid because we had like all here is perfectly meticulously packed. Uh, like everything we needed to do this climb as far from like a technical standpoint, but we just didn't pack enough food. Um, and uh, so just, it's, it's tough. You just have to be on top of your shit all the time because any tiny mistake is really bad. Uh, how's uh how's um out west treating you you're in colorado right now yeah, right? colorado colorado is i've only been out here for about four months nice. so haven't i've only done a few peaks here and there um other than that i, I definitely want to start hitting some more 14ers but you know kind of yeah, nice. haven't been out here that long and with the whole covid situation it's been a little difficult yeah. you know Crazy, networking yeah. and finding people who are into it and you know everyone's yeah it's just been a little rough finding more people to kind of get into it but yeah I'm not too worried about it also I've been sure. busy with starting this podcast so been kind of throwing myself into that so yeah, when nice. I can I get out into the mountains and I'm more looking forward to the ski season which is going to be kind of weird so We'll see how that goes. Yeah. I know most Especially places are going to. Oh, yeah. Gonna, it, yeah I think they're going to do a lot saying, of backcountry stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think what they're saying is you can only ride the lifts with, like, people in, like, your group. So, mm. you know, even if you're a single, you get, like, the lift to yourself. So it's just going to be this. Yourself. Yeah. So pretty much if you get in the line, I mean, I, I guess I could see people kind of skirting the you know don't ride with people that aren't in your group by you know going up in the line and being like hey you're you're my friend right <laughs> but i don't know I, it, it'll be interesting to see how it works right now they're talking with people i mean i've seen stuff from australia because Vale runs some resorts down there and they said it's kind of been a little bit just crazy and messed up so 
hopefully it clears up enough that they can actually take away some of these like precautions that they're putting in place right now, but we'll see. So I'm not too worried about it. I'll still be able to get out it. I'll make it work. So, but first full ski yeah. season out here, I'll enjoy it anyways. I know a lot of people, I can't ski like a hundred times. It's like, I'll be happy to ski 20 times in the mountain in a year. That'll be like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be stoked for that. So it's, I'm excited for either way. So I got a basin and Loveland passes. So, but nice. So we'll see how it goes. And then yeah, yeah. definitely coming from the East coast, skiing out West. It's like, it's just whatever you get to do. It's like a treat. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after that last climb, or what was that your last climb? The, the one up the West face or. Uh, uh, yeah. So we did the technical route. Uh, yeah. And then, um, so then, uh, the show, uh, so I can talk about Pico for a bit. Um, so in the mountaineering club at OSU, uh, history is kind of a big deal. Um, trying to keep like records of, of cool climbs past members have done. And so there's this famous group of climbers from the seventies that went to OSU. Um, and they basically climbed, uh, Pico, uh, in Mexico. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but they did that in preparation for climbing Denali. Uh, and they eventually went on and climbed Denali as OSU did. Um, that's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> and that's kind of what I want to do my, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, and I, so our group's idea was kind of to follow in their footsteps, uh, and climb Pico first, kind of, uh, see what altitude's like, and then go on to climb Denali, uh, which is, uh, which is my plan now. Um, I, most of my friends that won that Pico were a lot older than me and they have since now graduated. So I'm trying to keep the dream alive. Uh, and I think I found at least two other partners uh, from my senior year we're going to go through Denali um uh, but I can talk about that a little bit at the end um so anyway yeah. Pico uh the trip was organized by um Andy Boyshevev uh, I'm sorry I'm Andy I'm butchering your last name uh she actually lives in Colorado's no she lives in Salt Lake City in Utah she's gotcha. an absolute crusher uh she uh climbs oof, uh, I think she broke, she broke into the 13s. Uh, she is dating this guy named, um, uh, Brennan. Oh, what's his last name? Uh, Brennan. Um, I don't know, but he's also an absolute crusher. I think he just sent like a V14 older. Uh, they're both super strong sport climbers. Uh, and he's more into mountaineering too, though. Uh, so anyway, it was her and this guy named Sam and Ben Roberts. So they're brothers and their family actually owns VA. Uh, in Columbus. Um, oh, that's so awesome. They also come from kind of like a, yeah. yeah, they come from a family of climbers. Um, so they had organized the trip. Uh, then also my friend Whitman, uh, he's an awesome dude. Uh, Nathan Meyer um, and Ian, I forget Ian's last name. Uh, he's also, he's dope though. He did, uh, he's done a lot of those courses. Uh, he was in Alaska. They lived on a glacier for 90 days. They teach, uh, they teach a ton of stuff. He knows more than me still. Uh, he's a great dude. Um, he's super busy though. Uh, he, he's an engineer, so he's always doing internships and stuff. Uh, so it's hard to get out and climb sometimes, but, um, so they organized this trip, uh, to Pico de Orizaba. Uh, it's in the state of Puebla in Mexico, which is basically, um, rural Mexico. Um, it's actually the third mountain in North America at 8,400 and something feet. Uh, so it's only behind Denali and um, Mount Logan, actually, gotcha. uh, which is 
crazy because you don't think of Mexico having tall, tall mountains, right? But um, it's just this giant volcano uh, that's glaciated. It's uh, absolutely beautiful. Um, so we were going there. Uh, basically, that's a really good mountain to climb uh, for your first uh, big peak. Um, because as far as actual glacier risk, it's pretty low. Uh, we still roped up on the glacier. Um, basically, uh, you rope up on a glacier anytime you're afraid that you could have a crevasse fall. Um, so uh, glaciers, right, are of course moving ice. So a lot of times, uh, big giant holes, all crevasse open up in the ice. Uh, and sometimes they're covered by snow, so you can't see them. Um, but Pico has very few crevasses. We only saw two the entire time we were there tiny. Uh, so it's a good mountain to do for your first big climb. Um, but it's at altitude. Uh, so altitude kicked my ass. It was the first time serious yep. altitude uh, being from Ohio. And it was crazy. Um, so basically what you do is you fly into Mexico City. And then you take like three buses south. Uh, and then uh, you stay at this climbing hostel, which is um, uh, in this really small city outside the mountain. Uh, and, and then they, from there, drive you on a, to base camp, which is at 14,000 feet. Um, so you're basically staying at this hut at 14,000 feet. That's where you sleep um, and stuff while you're preparing to climb. And sleeping at 14,000 feet is probably the most brutal thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Uh, basically, your body is, is telling you that you're not getting enough oxygen. Uh, so what's happening is your heart rate is increasing to compensate. So you're lying in bed and your heart rate is literally like 100 beats per minute. So your heart, it feels like you're like walking on a treadmill, but then you're trying to go to sleep and it just is awful. Uh, none of us could sleep. I think the whole time we were there was like four days and I think I slept like literally like four hours the whole time. Uh, it was pretty, it was pretty, that was like the biggest, <laughs> biggest hurdle for me was just sleep deprivation. Um, uh, so basically, you climb um, this giant, giant field, uh, and then once you climb this giant scree field, it has this main glacier that leads you the last 2,000 feet to the summit. Um, and so our whole group was feeling pretty good once we got to the top of that scree field. Um, but the problem was, since we were so inexperienced uh, in planning our own trips, um, we didn't account for how fast we would be able to do it. We gave ourselves such a large cushion of time that bottom of the screen, it was like three in the morning and we were expecting to get there around seven, around sunrise. Uh, and basically the thing with this glacier is since there's not a large amount of rockfall risk, once you're on top of this headwall glacier, you actually want to wait until the sun has been on this glacier a little bit before you start climbing. Um, because during the night, this glacier gets really hard. And so if it has no sun on it, it's actually really hard to climb on. And it's so bad because if you take a fall, right, instead of falling on like soft smush snow, that'll slow you down. You're falling on like an ice skating rink. And so you'll yeah. keep sliding on the glacier and you won't be able to stop. So we had to bivy for like, three hours uh, on top of the scree field with our emergency blanket. And it's like 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, it was pretty brutal. Um, we were all suffering pretty hard. So anyway, we get on the glacier finally. Uh, climbing at altitude is just a whole thing. You just kind of have to experience it. It's 
absolutely brutal. Uh, we summited. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, that was one of the few summits where I was actually like, damn, like, holy shit. Uh, you can, you can, at that high altitude, you can see like the curvature of the earth. Um, uh, it, it was really beautiful. Um, the descent though was hard. Uh, me and uh, another teammate were feeling the altitude pretty badly. Uh, I actually had a fall um, at around 16,000 feet uh, near the end of the glacier. And so I took a fall, my cramp on, uh, it's a common uh, thing for your cramp on as you're walking to get stuck on your other leg. Um, so that happened to me. So I took a good 50 to 60 foot slide before I was finally able to self-arrest. And that was one of the scariest uh, uh, moments of my life. Um, I remember we were reading the guidebook. Uh, there's this whole, not guide, there's this whole climbing log at the, the base of the mountain where you're staying. And basically everyone that has climbed there like writes a little bit in it. And there's all these stories of like climbing falling on that glacier and they'll slide like a thousand feet and then like break both <laughs> their legs and have to like be taken off the mountain. So the whole time during the slide, I was like, oh God, I'd break my legs. <laughs> they would like get fucked up. Uh, so that was pretty scary. Uh, it was, I got kind of lucky. Um, uh, since we were getting beaten by altitude so much, it kind of took us uh, a long time to, to, to get up and get down. So by the time I took the fall, it was like probably like 11 a.m. or 12. And so the sun had been on the glacier a lot. So uh, it was a lot nice easier to, to stop myself. Yeah, yeah. it had gotten a lot softer. Um, but there were definitely moments like definitely like portions of the mountain that were in shade that if I had like fallen there, there'd be like no way I could have arrested. Uh, so that was a very humbling experience. And uh, I definitely am much more careful on the descent. Uh, I mean, most people who climb know that almost all of the accidents happen on the descent when you're already tired and then also gravity is working for you when you take a fall. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but that climbing in Mexico is really cool. Uh, uh, I personally had actually never been outside of the country. I'd done a ton of domestic travel. I'd been to like pretty states, um, but I had never been outside. And so it was really cool. Just, it was like just pure culture shock, especially like not in Mexico City, but like in these parts of Mexico. Uh, uh, like for example, um, this, the family that owned the climbing hospital we were in, they, it was uh, a fourth generation mountaineer. So we just had so That's much awesome. history. Uh, like yeah. they, they had all this like oral and, and written history of all the people that had came and climbed Pico. Uh, uh, it was a really cool experience. Um, and so uh, that's kind of when I've started to think about like climbing um, less just, like purely as a physical pursuit, but also like just all the history and, and, and kind of the culture that's been, been created around it. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a fun, that was fun. Do you have any questions about Pico? Uh, if anyone wants to climb it? Um, I mean, I guess just mountaineering in general. So getting into it, the, the biggest hurdle I feel like for most people probably going to be the, you know, getting the gear and all that kind of stuff. So what's kind of like the, you know, like the starting point, if you're getting into it, like, where do you start out at and go from there? For sure. So I'll touch on the gear uh, real quick, actually, because um, a big, a big hurdle uh, that has kept um, uh, uh, 
people out of Florida is cost. Uh, mountaineering gear is some of it is just inordinately expensive, very expensive uh, stuff. Um, so my recommendation is is uh, uh, buy your gear used. So basically, my whole rack of stuff, other than uh, stuff that like um, like rope, uh, anything that's a soft good that protects your life. So like other than your ropes, other than your slings, uh, harness. Other than that, everything uh, I bought is used. Uh, and the best place to do that uh, is Mountain Projects. So uh, if you're trying to get into mountaineering, go on to Mountain Projects. They have a, a for sale form and you can get some crazy deals uh, on it. Because let, me, let me tell you what happens. Uh, these rich oil executives or, or, or what <laughs> lawyers, uh, they think they want to get into mountaineering, so they buy thousands of dollars worth of brand new gear, and then they find out that they actually hate pine, so then they sell it used. <laughs> so you can get some pretty good deals. Uh, uh, like, for example, I got these um, Las Portiva Bacheras, or uh, basically brand new. Uh, it's a mountaineering boot that's usually like $700 new. I got it for like 100 dollars uh it's like pretty commonly deals like that um so that keeps the cost uh down it's still expensive um that's mountain project uh, you said as right as far as getting into this yeah mountain project um it's pretty common app for like sport climbing and stuff but if you go on their forms they have a for sale form um they also do stuff like skis and uh basically anything that's a mountain sport they sell but it's kind of primarily uh mountaineering uh gear um let's see so as far as getting into the sport that's also hard uh i've definitely felt that coming from the midwest um but i like to tell people like if you can do it being in ohio like you can you can do it as well um you, you really do have to find a club though um it's it's tough it's it's tough to be able to do it safely without having some sort of person that knows more than you uh so um, so you can go club route. Uh, a lot of states have, you know, hiking and mountaineering clubs. Uh, most colleges do. Uh, that's kind of the way to do it is to go to your college uh, um, and, and get into the sport while you're young. Um, if you can't do that, uh, another good option, but that is also expensive, um, is uh, something like a Knowles course. Uh, they have great teachers. Uh, their instructions amazing, um, but it is expensive. Uh, so, so I would say the club route is is definitely the way to go. Uh, also, Mountain Project has a, a partner finder, and a lot of times people will be looking for uh, their partners if they're doing an easier climb and they just can't find anyone. Uh, uh, any of their friends can go that day or whatever. Um, so that's a good resource uh, as well. Yeah, I know with mountaineering and a lot of the outdoor adventure sports, it's so much of a kind of, what's it called, uh, mentorship. You you mentor, mentee, mm -hmm. so people find the person that knows more than them, and they climb with them and learn and learn, and then once they're good enough, then they bring someone else on behind them that wants to learn, and I feel like that's a big thing in a lot of outdoor oriented sports and activities just in general because i know with climbing it's the For same sure. way yeah um definitely especially like 
like traditional yeah yeah that big big thing in trad climbing finding a mentor yeah for sure i've definitely um started the starting uh to, to not mentor people but um in the club take people on trips and honestly uh i tell i say this a lot um but i think for me uh taking someone that has never been in this like environment in these situations is almost more enjoyable than the climb itself uh because i just i I derive such joy from like seeing these people like be in these like really cool places and like doing it for the first time. I think it's, I think that's like almost cooler than just climbing uh, itself. Um, so, so I can actually touch on that. Uh, I just took my friend, um, I went on a trip to Rainier uh, with my friends, Isaiah, Stephen and Mitch uh, and Mitch and Stephen had never really been uh, ser done like serious mountaineering. Um, me and Isaiah had, uh, we had a lot of experience, Isaiah's close partner of mine, um, but uh, seeing Mitch uh, be on the glacier on Rainier uh, was, was pretty awesome. He was having a great time. And, and I think for a lot of mountaineering, at least for me, uh, I would rather have a partner that I trust as a friend and then is also in incredible shape uh, because I, as far as the rope stuff, uh, you can kind of teach that relatively quickly. It's much more important that this person is in really, really good physical shape because a lot of the risk that you're assuming at least on the less technical mountains um, is not from like taking a fall when you're roped. It's from, stuff like rock fall uh, and serac, uh, like, like having a serac collapse um, or avalanche risk. Uh, and so all those risks are basically the only way to avoid them is to get to the part of the route that has that risk, has risk of rock fall or serac fall, and then moving through it quickly. And the only way to do that is your partner is in incredible shape. So I am much more worried about taking a partner that can't move fast than I am taking a partner that isn't as familiar with like the uber technical stuff um, of climbing. It makes sense. You can, you can teach the technical stuff uh, and you can't teach the just pure endurance or whatever else you need to. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've done a, I mean, it's not as high. The highest mountains that I've climbed are the 14ers out here in uh, Colorado. So nothing more than that. But at 14, you can start to feel it for sure. The oxygen levels hitting for that sure. point where it's at a lot, like gets down to about 12% in your body's like, okay, we're at about half oxygen. So you, you definitely start to feel it. And I hike normally with my dog a lot of the times and she honestly does better than me out well one smaller animal two they're on four legs putting out they're built for going across rocks and doing this so less major mountaineering but just going up the normal hikes right now when it's the perfect weather for it and there's nothing there's no real danger of any snow or you're not going across any ice fields or anything like that dogs are so much more well adapted to kind of going across that environment so but yeah the, the altitude's definitely something that you have to get used to and the more you climb at altitude the more your body gets used to it the thicker your blood gets the erythroproteins and all that kind of stuff 
kind of grows in your body and your body just becomes more adapted to working out and being in that environment. So it, I've definitely felt better the longer I'm out here, the better I feel climbing in the mountains, the more I do it. So. So yeah, it's, it's, it, you have a big advantage. Uh, so, so basically the way your body adapts is the second you leave altitude, it, it, uh, goes back to normal very yep. quickly. Um, so someone like you, who's living at, 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 at elevation, large advantage over <laughs> someone like me who doesn't, um, uh, because as your body adapts, like when I got off Rainier, my body has adapted. Um, but the second, you know, I leave it, it goes away almost instantaneously. Yeah. I, I forget the research, but it's like within one week, you've lost almost all. It's, uh, it's how, uh, it's how long it takes your for your, it's how long it takes for your blood. Cause I've read into it. It's how long it takes for your blood to, uh, for your, the life cycle of your blood uh, cells. Cause essentially what happens when you're at yeah. altitude is your body reacts with the erythropoietins and all that. And your blood essentially just becomes thicker. So it can carry more oxygen and it makes more use out of the small percentage of oxygen that's in the air and it just makes better use of it. So it's more, your body's just a more efficient machine at that point. But once those uh, blood cells that can carry more oxygen are gone, you're back to carrying normal amounts. So it's that life cycle of the blood. So kind of the limiting factor that makes sense. uh so yeah rainier was a, a really cool trip um uh it was the first time that i've tra traveled in like seriously glaciated terrain um so there's this whole learning curve uh of being on a rope team being able to arrest uh your boss fall if it happens build a haul um uh if you need to uh and, and all those skills um uh, so it was really, it was uh, a lot of my entire summer has, has basically been, been consumed by uh, learning all the stuff that we really needed to know solidly because it's one thing to be able to do it at home. It's another thing to do it when, when uh, your, your buddy's in a, uh, in a tough spot. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we actually, yeah, so we actually drove out to Washington um, uh, last, uh, last week. I still can't believe it was last week. Um, we drove all the way to Washington uh, from Columbus, um, uh, and we uh, we climbed uh, to Camp Muir. Uh, we camped at Muir two nights. <laughs> it was actually funny. We had the biggest Gumby moose um, ever at Camp Muir. Uh, we had got there and it was pretty late. Um, we we had uh, started way later than we should have, um, uh, mostly because one of my uh one of my partners wasn't feeling so good so we were hiking a little slow um but also we just sort of should have started uh, earlier but um we got to camp pretty late uh around like six and uh so we we're putting our tent up and um as we're putting the tent up uh uh the, the so we hammer in a picket uh to, to keep it the tent down but the winds were super strong so it it pulls the picket out and sends this the tent that is partially constructed and the picket flying across the snowfield and then it lands right next to the crevasse and then within the next two minutes it blows into the crevasse and oh. falls into the crevasse so <laughs> our our tent was 
gone. And we were, we were just like, oh my God, like what have we got ourselves into? We're like, for, for, we look just so gone, like this total gumbies, like all these climbing rangers are like, just like laughing. And we're just like, oh my God, like I can't <laughs> believe this just happened. Like, I promise we like kind of know what we're doing, but like <laughs> clearly not. Uh, and so, so we, we, uh, we have another tent. And so what we ended up doing was, uh, it was a two person tent, but it had two vestibules. So basically we're just like sleeping with two people in the tent compartment and then two people, one person in each vestibule. Uh, so it was lucky that that tent had two vestibules. Vestibule is like, um, it's like an extra outside portion of the tent that you could like cook in or do stuff like that. Um, uh, so we just had people sleeping in those uh, and it was, it worked out okay. Um, uh, but definitely being able to adapt uh, being able to suffer more if you need to uh, are important skills that, that we learned there. Um, so we're at Camp Muir. Uh, we decide to push our summit day back because we got, uh, we got there so late. So we stay a full day at Camp Muir. Um, living on a glacier is just like, that's what Camir is. It's on a glacier. It's uh, it's it's totally. You have to be able to be totally self-sufficient. So you have to be able to know how many calories you need to bring. Because there's no food source, so you have to be able to know how much your body needs and be able to bring that amount of calories. Um, and then you also have to be able to know how much water you're going to need. And then instead of packing in the, all the water because it, you can be way too much, you have to be able to pack in enough gas for your stove. To be able to melt enough water uh, so so that's a whole um, uh, there's just so much planning to make sure stuff goes right we we barely brought enough if we had to stay there one more night we would have had to uh, just have gone down because we wouldn't have been able to uh, to melt enough snow um, and so I think a lot of expeditions like for example to Denali uh, are thwarted not by like the difficulty of the climbing but just the fact that you have to be so precise uh, in your planning. You have to be able to know exactly how much gas you need, how much food, and and uh, forgetting something as small as sunblock can literally turn your whole trip uh, around. Um, so, so definitely, uh, we we kind of got our asses kicked in some of those um, aspects. Uh, but uh, we, we turned out all right, so um, we, we started our climb around 3 a.m. Um, the next night. Uh, because basically, most people started a little earlier than that, but uh, there was really bad wind, uh, like I was saying, that had blown our tent. And uh, the rangers were saying that as the night progressed, the wind was going to get better. Uh, so they were recommending that people started later. Um, so that's what we did, um, looking back on it. Uh, it was the wrong decision just because when we woke up at like 1am, we were going to check the wind and it looked fine. Like we should have just started climbing then. Um, because there was like no wind the entire night, but, uh, but we stuck with the original plan. Uh, and it was all right. Like we got home, we got back to mirror in time. So it was okay. Uh, so we basically the climb right near, you have to cross one glacier and then, uh, there's these things called cleavers, which are these steep rock faces, uh, slash like scree fields that you have to climb over uh, and they're called cleavers because they separate two glaciers. So there's a uh, first glacier, you cross that, and there's a cleaver of rock you have to climb over. Second glacier, 
And there's this thing called disappointment cleaver, which is kind of the famous thing that they've named the route uh, after the dis DC route, the disappointment cleaver route. So you have to climb that. Uh, that gets you onto the upper glacier. Uh, that's around a thousand feet before you before you summit. Uh, so so we we climbed past the first glacier. It was terrain was super well. Boot pack was there, so it was easy to like route find and stuff. Uh, we climbed the first cleaver. All right. Um, uh, we get to the second glacier, and that's kind of really when uh, a real serious glaciated terrain kind of emerged. Um, there was a ladder crossing, uh, um, and it's kind of crazy. You like see these things in these Everest uh, documentaries where these guys are like crossing these ladders over crevasses. They look down, and it like goes into eternity. And and to do that like, yourself, uh, it's pretty crazy. Like I, I remember crossing this ladder, and you're just looking down, and literally it's just blackness. Uh, it's like it goes to the center of the earth. Um, uh, it was it was pretty wild. Um, uh, so so we crossed the ladder, uh, and uh, we get on the DC, and um, uh, then we get up to the upper glacier, and and it's going pretty well. Uh, we're all feeling pretty pretty good. Uh, we get to the summit, um, and by the time we get to the summit, we are just all absolutely gassed. Um, it was kind of crazy. Uh, I wasn't feeling too well. Um, now, now that I'm looking back on it, uh, we know what was wrong. My salt was way too low. So on the display, I ate like a, uh, a bunch of like salted peanuts and stuff and felt a lot better. So my salt was way too low. I was definitely sweating out a lot. Um, that's that's another thing that's like super important uh, in mountaineering is like keeping your electrolytes high because because as you sweat when you're climbing you you definitely think you're not sweating as much as you are uh, just because it's like winter but you're sweating a ton and you have to replace that. Um, so we got down and uh, yeah it was all right uh, we we did it pretty safely for uh, for for four idiots from from Ohio so uh, yeah. Um, so now, so now I'm just thinking about what I'm what I'm gonna climb next uh, for potentially uh, doing Denali. Um, that's kind of the the goal. What do you have on the list for possibly next? Ah uh, man, so so COVID is kind of really uh, fucked stuff up. Um, but uh, as as far as uh, climbing, I was thinking about going to uh, the Cordillera Blanca, which is kind of in between Ecuador and Peru, to the Peruvian Andes, um, uh, which are these mountains, which are really cool. They're around uh, 6,000 meters, so they're like 20,000 feet. Um, they're kind of famous for being like the Himalaya in that they're like these big, burly, glaciated peaks, but they're also really accessible, um, kind of like some of the mountains in the Alps, where you can just like take trains to them. Um, so there's this city called Juarez, uh, it's in Ecuador, um, and it's kind of like the, the it's like the, um, it's like the, uh, I don't know, it's, it's the famous, it's the famous climbing city all the, all the mountaineers go and they, they hang out in, um, and uh, there's a bunch of famous peaks, um, yeah, Chimborazo, there's uh, Alpameo, um, uh, so basically, I just want to get uh, one more mountain in uh, at altitude before before I do something like Denali, uh, uh, kind of get some more uh, experience living uh, on a glacier as far as like gas and stuff like that. Because it's it's really hard to just like 
calculate how much fuel and food you need because everyone everyone's body is different so uh, oh yeah for sure yeah i'd say i mean at least i've not done a ton of mountaineering i've stuck more to just a lot of climbing uh skiing that kind of stuff backpacking but I'd say one of the biggest, just the amount of preparation that went into, uh, you brought up Jimmy Chin and the whole, but watching Meru, you just see how like intricate their planning is and how perfect they have to be. And just watching them like pack their packs is like so methodical. <laughs> yeah. It's packing for mountaineering is, uh, it's it's kind of this process that like takes over your your entire living room or your entire you know basement <laughs> you've just gear everywhere and uh um uh, and it's it's crucial that you do it right that's uh that's kind of the one aspect of my climbing that i think needs the most work is like like for example at rainier uh we we like I, we forgot sunblock uh, on summit day so we had sunblock all the way up to Camp Muir, but then I left it in my bag. So we were on this upper glacier uh, and my face just got abs absolutely roasted. And like, if I was on a peak like Denali without sunblock and we had left it at the camp below, like we'd be fucked. Like you'd, you'd have to turn around. Like you'd get, you'd get third degree burns. You'd have to, yeah, it'd be, it'd be awful. So, so it's definitely a sport that requires you to like absolutely focus um and uh you, you can't make mistakes like that so of all those climbs, without jeopardizing the yeah. climb. so of all those climbs that you've done so far because even though you're still pretty like new to the mountaineering world relatively yeah for, still, for sure you've already no, got a decent yeah, amount definitely. still got a decent amount of peaks under your belt at this point which one's been your favorite climb so far and which one for someone kind of new to mountaineering what would be a good starter mountain i guess yeah for sure um uh, they're, they're all different uh look back on them it's uh, uh i would say um really just because of nostalgia uh mount washington is is really uh my been my favorite um just because the it allows so many beginners to the sport to enter uh, and to see what it's like. Um, and I think that's the coolest thing about mountaineering, especially where, where I'm at kind of uh, uh, in my journey is that I just love bringing new people into the sport and being um, not exactly a mentor, but, but just acting as kind of like this, this conduit for, for people to, to help people enter the sport. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I, I think, um, Mount Washington, if you're on the East coast is, is definitely the perfect, uh, perfect place to, uh, to try it out and see, see how you like it. And a lot of people that try it out, don't like it. Like, um, you, you definitely, uh, definitely <laughs> you have to be the type um, of person that embraces the suck. <laughs> you gotta <In> embrace <laughs> the suck. Yeah. Uh, be a good way to put it. It's funny though, because yeah, definitely. You you can't uh, you can't always know who that is because like I've had these guys who who are like hardcore sport climbers and they think they're gonna like be fine and love it and they end up like hating it. But then there's like uh, like I took a, a like this sorority girl like up there and she like absolutely loved it. So I don't know. You can. It's really interesting. It's you a, kind of know know who's gonna like it and there, there's such a mental aspect to 
climbing mountains because there's this difficulty to it that just weighs like it just hits you I mean I've not done like winter climbing yet even and you have to just be able to just okay this sucks just keep putting one foot in front of the other just keep going and mm. I don't know I like you said for it it probably takes kind of the person that can get to kind of like the therapy just kind of where you just kind of lose your mind a little bit and it's just you in the mountain and yeah you know if you're the type of person that that experience that like when things get sucky like that you just kind of go into your own mind versus someone that just focuses way too much on okay this sucks and that's all they can think about it's that yeah. they're not going to do so well like it doesn't matter how in shape you are it's gonna suck <laughs> and if you can't handle that you have to be, you have to be <laughs> yeah yeah it's all over you have to be mentally strong and and you have to be the type of person that that uh when when you're in a situation that's dangerous or, or maybe just tough you uh you have to always be like super positive you have to be the, the type of guy that like like laughs you know uh not the guy that gets angry or grumpy um the people that that do the best the only thing i've kind of found that kind of predicts it a little bit is like the people who are like the most like upbeat cheerful like kind of funny people usually do really well because like like when it gets really bad they'll just kind of like start laughing you'll be like why well like what the fuck why are you laughing they'll be like oh, this sucks and i'm like so that that's kind of that's and that's what I look for in partners, like uh, people that like when when uh, when something goes wrong, like they get mad. That's 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 a big turnoff for me. Uh, you have to be like super positive. Um, these these stuff will sometimes go wrong. So. Like I was saying before, it feels like in the like a lot of the people and that do like the harder parts of the outdoor community sports and do more of the extreme sports. They're such a lot of them are laid back people that are like you kind of have to, to be able to, oh, it's in skiing. You got the people who ski like extreme stuff and you're like, oh yeah. And they just talk about it. Like it's like nothing. And they just like hurdle down like 5,000 vertical feet. And like it, they get to the bottom and they're just like super chill about it. Even, even though they're like celebrating, it's like a chill celebration. It's not like, I don't know. There, there's something about outdoor, like people that actually do well in the outdoors and actually love it they have that kind of laid back mentality about like the things that suck. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. They're laid back and they have a bad memory so that they can't remember how much it sucks. <laughs> bad <laughs> the best, memories. The best mountaineers have the shortest memory. Yeah. I love that quote. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and then I, what's been your hardest climb so far then of all of them? which one's probably been the uh, it's tough yeah all, all, all for sure so all of them are hard in different ways um uh, uh as far as just like pure physical exhaustion probably pico um because climbing at altitude it's just kind of unmatched by anything um uh but rainier was tough uh it's a early mountain uh, i mean there's a reason why it's kind of the crown jewel of mountaineering in the lower 48 um it's it's a long slog uh um it's it's really it was really tough uh it was one of the toughest things i've ever done um uh people really underestimated though um uh, i think a lot of people like to do do hiking um and stuff like that and, and like my buddy 
not to call him out, but like my buddy Steve, I was talking about how he was doing like hiking and stuff. And, and he was just, he was like fucking destroyed, uh, just absolutely annihilated. Uh, and he was talking, uh, we also did some multi-pitch sport climbs uh, while we were out there. Um, and he was talking about how he felt totally ready for Rainier, uh, but he was a little worried about the sport climbs. Uh, and that totally reversed. He was, that was like, <laughs> like the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And um, so you, you definitely, you, you get a lot of respect, like um, even for the people that do it, like with guides, like it's still like an achievement to get up there. Uh, it's really tough. Well, um, is there anything else in the outdoors besides climbing and mountaineering that you do that are that you're into or there's like your two things? Uh, those are my two main things. Uh, going forward, uh, as far as like on the more chill side, I kind of want to get more into um, uh, into ski mountaineering, not like ski mountaineering, like serious stuff, but like uh, doing my own like kind of backcountry boot pack and uh, stuff. Uh, it's just hard when you're in Ohio. Uh, usually when you want to do stuff like that, you have to plan these elaborate trips. So it's kind yeah. of hard to get into it. Um, uh, but that's, yeah, that's kind of my goal. Uh, when I graduate, um, definitely going to move out West, uh, maybe Montana, something like that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Totally worth it moving out here. I, sh- I kind of wish I would have done it right after I graduated, yeah. but I'm out here now, so can't complain. I'd say Montana was on my list, but when it comes to jobs, I mean, Denver is, you can't really beat the industry in Denver and the opportunities outside yeah, of sure. the mountains. So, but yeah, I don't know, I'm, I'm looking. So I'm to, an EMT. Yeah. No, you're good. Sorry. Yeah. You're yeah. I, I was done. You're good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm, I'm going to, try and take a gap year or two uh i have my emt license so i was gonna work like ems out there uh basically the schedule is really nice you can like work two yeah you can work like two 24-hour shifts and then have the rest of the week off and climb so i was gonna do that uh kind of as a gap year or two before before some type of grad school so yeah that's kind of the plan moving forward not bad at all so anything else that you'd want to say about mountaineering uh or finish up uh yeah um uh i really recommend everyone tries it out at least once especially if you're into like climbing or hiking uh it's it's a really cool sport um awesome uh, i can send you over my instagram and uh anyone that wants to 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 ask me anything about it uh, i'm more than happy to to respond to uh to messages so gotcha Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate all the insight and your own journey into the mountaineering world from the Midwest, which is not a Midwest, which is not easy. (laughs) So, but that's awesome. And very happy that you came on. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good one. You too.